1987, the rock band U2 released a song entitled, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And in that song are these lyrics. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We said last week that while there are a few things most of us in this world have in common, one thing almost all of us desire is to be happy in life. That's what we're, we're looking for. That's what people are going to great lengths to try and find. There are many in our world today in hot pursuit of happiness long-term in this life. They're in pursuit of lasting joy, contentment, and satisfaction. Where we differ is on the path to take to get there, to truly find it. Some argue that the pathway to happiness is to find someone to love and someone who loves you back. That's why many singer-songwriters write about love, right? But what you find in many of their songs is that they're sad songs. Why are they sad? Because at times relationships come to an end. They don't ultimately bring us what, what we're wanting, lasting happiness. They can come to an end for, for a number of reasons. There are some who say that the pathway to happiness in life is in making yourself known. We talked about this last week. We're, this is very much true of the culture in which we live. The YouTubers, people putting things online that will be remembered, whether good or bad, and uh, they're trying to make themselves known. They, they think that's where happiness is found. Some say happiness is found in stuff. They argue that you'll be happy if you have these things. If you have that house you've always wanted, that car you've always wanted, you live in this certain neighborhood, make this certain amount of money, then you'll be happy. But over and over again, people who go down those paths and, and they seek after those things, they end up repeating the lines to the U2 song while they go to great lengths to find happiness. They climb the highest mountain, run through the fields, run, crawl, scale the city walls. They do not find what they are looking for. And the reason why is because lasting satisfaction, happiness, joy, and contentment cannot be found under the sun, as Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. Those pursuits are unsatisfying. When it comes to relationships, while friends and loved ones can make you happy for a time, they can also, as Carol King once wrote and James Taylor sung, they can be so cold. They can hurt you and desert you. Take your soul if you let them. While we can be happy for a time with material things, those things don't satisfy forever because they're temporal. As the great theologian George Strait once sang, you don't bring nothing with you here, and you can't take nothing back. I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. It's true. Material things don't make you happy. Substances like drugs and, and alcohol don't bring happiness. I'm reminded of the words of Willie Nelson when he sung, Well, I got to get drunk, and I sure do regret it, and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. I'll start to spend my money calling everybody honey and wind up singing the blues. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's move from Willie Nelson to the Gospel of Luke. How about, okay? Let's hear what 
God has to say about it in his word. Luke chapter 6. But you didn't think you'd come in hearing Willie Nelson quoted this morning. We're continuing our study through Luke, and we are in the third section of this book discussing Jesus's ministry, his earthly ministry in Galilee. And we said last week we have arrived at a very familiar section of the book. We are, we are studying Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, or some call it the Sermon on the Plain from Luke. Same sermon here. And in this sermon, he is beginning by instructing this large group of disciples who have gathered on what it takes to follow him. And he is showing them, he is showing those who take this path of his disciple, the path of trusting in him and following hard after him no matter what. He is showing them that is the path that leads to true happiness. The one who is his true disciple, who follows him faithfully, he is the one who experiences true blessing and is highly favored but as we said to the surprise of many in the crowd and many today Jesus makes it very clear in the first part of this sermon that true and lasting happiness according to him it's counter to what we learn in our world today and what they were teaching in their day it's counter to culture he teaches that lasting happiness is not found in fame pleasure material wealth or acceptance in fact he says the opposite in this sermon Jesus says blessed are the poor the hungry the weeping and those who are rejected and then he says the rich full happy and accepted are cursed very very strange Teaching. Well, today we're going to continue to examine this countercultural message at the beginning of this incredible sermon of Jesus. And let me read the passage to you once again, like I did last week. Then we'll continue to discuss Jesus' instruction to his disciples on what it looks like to live a blessed life. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. This is God's word. Hear it. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people, all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Last week we looked at verses 20 and 21 and verses 24 through 25. Today we're going to finish this passage. We discussed two points from Jesus' sermon last week. We didn't have time for any others. We're going to revisit those quickly this morning and then we're going to move on to give you uh, two more points here from this sermon. Last week we learned point number one, in God's kingdom the poor and needy are rich. Jesus says... Blessed are you who are poor. Matthew records Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what poor is meant here by poor. 
Jesus says, blessed is the man who is poor and, and needy in spirit. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Those who seek to find happiness in the here and now, those who seek to find it in, in earthly things under the sun, they may find those things, Jesus says, but they find only those things and nothing more. Those who, who fail to see their spiritual poverty and, and their need and they settle for less than what God intends, they end up forfeiting the kingdom and eventually lose everything. Their life is not ultimately blessed, it's cursed according to Jesus. Their end is not glory, it's judgment. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. You want to experience happiness, contentment, joy long term? What is the path to take? Jesus says the path to blessing is poverty. It's realizing at the core of your being, you have nothing, are nothing, can do nothing, and are in complete need. Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, if you want to be satisfied, content in life, you have to come to this point. You have to arrive here. It means being a spiritual beggar at God's throne of grace. It's realizing you're in complete need of Him to work in your heart and life. And apart from Him doing that work, you have no hope whatsoever. That's what Jesus is after. And notice where it leads. Verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus said those who are poor in spirit... They're blessed, for theirs is the kingdom. Being poor in spirit, it, it leads us down, we said, so that we can go up. It leads us outward instead of inward. It leads us to Jesus, and through Jesus, we're made right with God, and we are ushered in to his kingdom as his children. Blessed are those who are poor because of where it leads and who it leads them to. It leads them down. It leads them to the end of themselves. And it leads them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point to Jesus' sermon. We examined this last week as well. In God's kingdom, the hungry are satisfied. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 21, and then skip down to verse 25. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Both Matthew and Luke, we talked about, they both have spiritual satisfaction in mind here. Matthew, again, clarifies that for us. Jesus wants his disciples to know that to follow after him, one must first realize that they're in complete need of him and hunger and thirst for him, which is why he says here, blessed is the person who sees these in need. Blessed is the person who hungers. Blessed is the person who thirsts for righteousness, for that person, Jesus says, shall be satisfied. When you realize your sinfulness, your need for Christ's righteousness, when you forsake your sin, when you come to the end of yourself, you place your faith and trust in the person and work of Christ alone for salvation, you find everything you could ever want or need in Jesus. And I said last week, if you don't believe that, just ask some believers in here, true believers, they'll tell you that is absolutely true. When you realize your sinfulness and your need for Christ's righteousness, when you forsake that sin, 
place your faith and trust in the person and work of Christ alone, you find everything you could ever want and need in Christ. You're forgiven of sin. You're made right with God. You're changed from the inside out. You have a new hope for the future, a true purpose in life, a joy that's not gauged by life's circumstances. You experience a fullness, a satisfaction that you never have before. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It starts there. As you continue as a believer to pursue godliness, you continue to be satisfied in that relationship with the Lord, but you still see that you're nowhere close to where you need to be, so you continue to pursue godliness, experiencing that joy that comes in and through a relationship with the living God until Christ returns and makes us complete and whole. Amen. It's awesome. In God's kingdom, the poor and needy are rich. And the hungry are satisfied. Next point. In God's kingdom, those who weep will laugh. Look at verse 21 and then verse 25 again. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Jesus says here, the pathway to true happiness, lasting happiness, joy and contentment is through weeping. Blessed are you who weep. Now, this should really cause us to pause for a minute, scratch our heads, right? Not only does the, the, the world have difficulty with this teaching, but if we're honest at first glance, we intuitively have issues with this. Jesus is saying that the, the pathway to happiness is sadness? That doesn't sound right, does it? The world agrees. The world teaches that the pathway to happiness is happiness. The pathway to happiness is choosing to be happy, laughing and loving your way through life. If... You experience difficulty or pain or sadness in life. What you need to do is just choose to be happy or choose a path that leads to something happy. Cope with the situation by trying to make yourself happy. That's the advice that you hear in our world today. Just move on from that. Put that behind you. Turn that frown what? Upside down. Put on a what? Put on a happy face. Don't worry. It's all over the place, isn't it? It's what many believe is, is the pathway to happiness. And let's be honest, many of us, we, we've bought into this philosophy at one time or another. Maybe you've given this advice. Maybe you've said, man, you just got to find some joy. You just got to choose to be happy, though your situation stinks. Just push it aside. Choose to be happy. That's the world's philosophy. If life has got you down, the pathway to happiness is to choose to be happy or to find a happy path. Instead of facing life's sad realities, let's just make light of them. Let's push them aside. Let's bring in the clowns and let's be happy. How many of you, at one time or another, when you were down, you put on a lighthearted comedy or you filled your bowl with ice cream? Anybody? I'm guilty of that. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is it doesn't really work, does it? Because when that lighthearted comedy is over, when that bowl of ice cream is empty, what's still there? The problem, right? Doesn't deal with the issues at hand. It just ignores it for a while. And at times, God wants us to 
face this reality. God goes to great lengths in his word, we see, to remind us of the fact that we live in a broken and fallen, sin-stained world and that we are a broken and fallen people and he doesn't want us to push those truths aside. Instead, he wants us to be broken over these things and get this, through that brokenness comes blessing. That's Jesus' point. That's the kind of weeping that Jesus is calling for, for here. He's calling for his disciples to be broken over sin. Christ's disciples are to weep over sin. The Puritans used to pray for tears so that they would be broken over their sin. First, one's own personal sin, the sin that you've committed against God and others. It's also mourning over the, the fallen state of things in our world and groaning as creation groans over the fallen state and longing for Christ's return to make right what we have wrong, to long for that which is broken to be restored, to long for that which is wrong to be made Right, that's where Jesus wants us. That's what he is getting at here. To be blessed, the path is weeping over sin in our life and world. Why is it the path to blessing? Same reason being poor in spirit is the path to blessing. It's because of where it leads you and who it leads you to. You see, the mourning in and of itself is not the fun part. Can we be honest about that? Being poor in spirit, realizing that we have nothing, are nothing, and are in complete need, that's not fun, is it? It's not. Dealing with the depths of our depravity? Anybody enjoy doing that over breakfast? The reality of your sinfulness, it's not, it's not fun. Facing the reality of living in a broken, fallen, sin-stained world is not fun. The blessing is where it leads us. When people become poor in spirit, when they come to grips with the fact that they have nothing, are nothing, can do nothing, and, and are in complete need of God to work in their life, when they realize they're in complete need and are broken over that sin, where that can, can lead us is what brings us happiness. It leads us to look for comfort and restoration outside of ourselves. And God tells us in his word that comfort Deliverance, restoration is found in a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. As we said on the first point, we said this last week, an essential part of the message of salvation is to go up, to be brought to God, to be brought to the joyous and glorious place of being at peace with him. We must first go down. We must come to terms with the broken state of things in our lives spiritually and be in complete need for God, be broken over our sin and look to him. And when we do, we find life and we find joy that lasts. That's why Jesus says those who weep will laugh. And he also says the opposite. He says those who laugh now, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now let me stop here and tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying you can never be happy, right? You can never laugh. Or woe to you. Woe to you. You're laughing. Yeah. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying, right, Terry? No. Unfortunately, some have, have taken it to mean that, you know. Met some miserable people. 
who claim they're trusting in Christ and faithfully following him. People look at those people and say, if that's the joy of the Lord, I'll pass. I'll pass if that's what it looks like. That's what joy is. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying here is, if your entire life is one big party, if, you're, you're, if in your whole life you just ignore the, the broken and fallen state of things in the world around you and your broken and fallen condition, if instead of dealing with the truth of your, your sinfulness and your need for salvation, you adopt the mentality of turning your frown upside down when it comes to your sin, he says, woe to you. Jesus says, woe to those who do not deal with the depths of their depravity. Those who try to escape the reality of their brokenness. Who try to put it aside. And the reason why is because judgment is coming. That's why we're not to ignore it. Judgment is coming for lost sinners who have rejected the Savior. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you landed in the pit of spiritual despair? I know it doesn't sound like a fun place, but it is a necessary place that you must land before you can be saved. Have you come to understand your spiritual poverty? Have you mourned over your sinfulness, forsaken that sin, bowed the knee to King Jesus? If not, now's the time. Today's the day to do just that. Last point. We learn from Christ's teaching on the blessed life that in God's kingdom, the rejected are accepted. Look at verses 22 through 23 and then skip down to verse 26. Blessed are you when people hate you. You don't need to adjust your glasses. That's what it says. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Don't have to adjust your glasses, that's what it says. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, <clears throat> your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Over the past few weeks, we've been discussing how countercultural this teaching of Jesus is. This one right here is about as countercultural as you can get. It's the most countercultural of all the Beatitudes, so much so that, that many believers struggle with this one as well. Jesus says, Blessed are the persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they drag your name through the mud, when they try to demonize you, when they spurn your name as evil on account of me, on account of the Son of Man. Jesus says, when that happens, rejoice and leap for joy. That is counter to our world, isn't it? The world simply says, to be happy, avoid persecution at all costs. And that's not just the belief in the world today. But many Christians have adopted this view as well. They, they think, if I want to be happy, i got to avoid persecution at all costs. They think nothing good can come from that at all. How many of you, when you're praying prayers of thanksgiving to God, you thank Him that you live in the country you live in, where you're free to worship as you do, you don't have to worry about persecution? Don't hear me say you shouldn't 
thank him for that. You, you should. But sometimes what's being communicated there is there is nothing good that can come from persecution. And it's only uh, happiness is only found in not being hated, excluded, reviled. Why do we think this way? Why do we think the person is blessed is the one who avoids persecution? I think one of the reasons why is obvious because persecution is painful emotionally and physically. It happens as a result of, of living in a broken and fallen, sin-stained world. So we naturally think that the suffering that comes from that is not good. Persecution happens as a result of living in a broken world, so it can't be good. And because we, we think in this way, we think it should be avoided at all costs. And, and there's nothing good that can come from it and some have taken this a step further and, and they have added God to the equation and said God wants me to avoid discomfort in any way he wants me to just be comfortable in life they think what God wants for me his will for my life is the good life and the here and now health wealth happiness the American dream so it's called prosperity theology, and it is antithetical to Jesus' words here, but it's growing in popularity day after day. One of the problems with prosperity theology, and believe me, there are a few, but one is believing that God wants us to, to be, be comfortable, never wants us to experience discomfort. That doesn't line up with Scripture. One of the major issues is the Bible, right? It, it doesn't line up. And get this, it also is not consistent with the storyline of many of the faithful in Scripture, is it? That's Jesus' point, is it not? In, in Luke chapter 6, verse 23, he basically says, do not fret, do not be upset when persecution comes. You're in good company. Is that not what he says? Look what he says. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And since we know the rest of the story, we can also say, and so the religious leaders did to Jesus and the apostles. Did they not? At the time of this teaching, the uh, closest example Jesus could give was the prophets of old. Many of them spoke the word of God to God's people and they were rejected by God's people, persecuted, and killed. Then Jesus, sent by God, speaking truth, what did they do to him? They crucified the Lord of glory, the one whom God sent, his man, his Messiah. One of my favorite characters in the book of Acts is Stephen, great disciple of the Lord Jesus. He was accused of being an enemy of Moses, an enemy of God, an enemy of the temple, and an enemy of the law, the four pillars of Judaism. Remember what Stephen said to the religious leaders? I'll, I'll share it with you. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. And guess what they did to Stephen? They killed him. They killed him for it. They stoned him to death, but he was received by the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father into glory. 
Jesus is saying here in Luke 6, if you're hated and despised for this message, rejoice, you're in good company. Look what Warren Wiersbe says about it. I love this quote. Screenshot it. Take a picture of it. When your enemies, when our enemies treat us the way Christ's enemies treated him, that is evidence that we are living as he lived. It's true. Jesus also says, Blessed are you who are persecuted in my name. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. Think about what Jesus is saying here. He knows the way our minds work, right? Christ, Christ became one of us. When considering the cost, many often think of what they might lose for standing strong and being bold for Christ. They think they might lose friends, a scorn of family, negative consequences in the workplace, a bad grade in the classroom. Now, these are Western problems in areas where they're truly persecuted. They're sold into slavery, and they lose their life. And Jesus knew that people thinking on these things might weigh out the cost and and might conclude that it's not worth it. It's not worth it for all you lose. But Jesus flips that logic on its, on its head, and he basically says this, great loss is worth all we gain in him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that great loss is worth all we gain in him? Thabiti Anyabwile, in his commentary on Luke, says this. Look at this quote. When we suffer for our Savior's name... We receive a prophet's treatment and a great reward. Listen, eternal heavenly reward will be provided for believers who endure temporary earthly sorrow. True. No one other than Christ understood this better than the Apostle Paul. He knew nothing man could do to him in this life could rob him what God had given him in Christ. Paul had a good grasp on this, how great it is to be a citizen of God's kingdom. He had a great awareness of how God had blessed him in Christ and what awaited him in glory, which is what led him to say what he says in Romans chapter 8. Read it this week. It's in your scripture reading. I plucked out verse 18 Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God's kingdom people should not be moved by the temporary attacks of the enemy through evil systems and wicked people who come against them. What awaits them is better. There's a story about John Chrysostom. Those of you all that have been in our Christian history class, maybe that name sticks out to you. He was an early church father who lived around the 4th and the 5th century who, when threatened with banishment by the Roman emperor Arcadius, refused to stop preaching Christ. The emperor said, if you do not stop, you'll be banished. To which Chrysostom replied, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. He said, then I'll slay you. Chrysostom said, no, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. So Arcadius said, your treasures will be confiscated. He said, sire, that cannot be. My treasures are in heaven where none can break through and steal. 
So he said, I will drive you from men and you will have no friends. And Chrysostom said, that you cannot do either. For I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? That should be our mentality, believers. If you have Christ, you have all you could ever need and you need not be fearful of what man can do. Look at Jesus' final word of woe in Luke 6, 26. The flip side of this. He says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus basically says, says here, if, if everything's going your way, especially if, if everyone speaks well of you, that might be a sign you're not living for Christ and representing him because Jesus said, if you are, if you follow me, you live for me, you stand for me, the world will hate you because it hated me. That's what happens to those who stand for what's right and true, who boldly and unapologetically preach the gospel. Those who do not, those who distort the message, who water it down, change it into something it's not, remove the sting of it, avoid controversial doctrines like sin and repentance and the exclusivity of Christ. They're loved by the world. They're spoke well of and they find themselves in the company of those who do the same. In the company of false prophets. They end up on Oprah's book list. They're praised by the unrepentant and they're loved by the wicked. H.A. Ironside in his commentary on Luke said this, To be highly esteemed by worldlings indicates that one is just part of the world. And the world loves its own. But Jesus said that if we follow him, we need not wonder that the world will hate us. For they hated him before they hated us. The world delights in those of its own kind. We who are Christians have been called out from this world to the one whom they reject. If you stand for truth, you will be associated with men like the prophets of old, Christ and his disciples what happened to them they were hated they were exiled they were reviled beaten and killed Jesus said to his followers in John 15 19 if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you believers if you confront the world with the truth of God's gospel, the world is going to strike back. Be guaranteed of that. That's the fact of the matter. While some respond in repentance and saving faith, others will reject and oppose you and your message. But here's something that Jesus reminds us of here. Paul reminds us of it. We're reminded of it all throughout Scripture. What you lose in this life does not hold a candle to what you gain in Him in glory. It doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. Believers, are you, are you laboring in this way today? Are you being a bold witness for Christ? Are you unapologetically sharing the truth of, of God's gospel in love with a desire to see lost sinners saved no matter what it may cost you? Are you willing, if it be God's will, to be hated, reviled for His purposes? Christ was. 
And he tells us to follow him, right? Think about Jesus. We're told in Isaiah that it was God's will to crush him. Jesus, knowing this, came from heaven to earth for this reason, to live, die, and rise again in order to save the very ones set against him. That includes you and me. As we sing and hear on occasion, he was scorned by the ones he came to save. And he knew that would be the way, yet he came anyway so the wayward sinners separated from, set against God, could be restored to a right relationship with him through his great person and work. Is Christ Lord of your life? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in him alone for salvation? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you realized that you are, are poor in spirit? Are you broken over that sin? Have you forsaken that sin? And are you looking to and trusting in Christ alone for rescue? I invite you to here today. Forsake your sin, make Christ Lord, and be saved right here, right now, today. Let's pray together.